First Thessalonians chapter 1. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of the severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but, uh, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For, we, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols and serve the living and true God and wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Churches are supposed to grow. They're supposed to grow. Yet, all across the United States, churches are dying all the time. But churches are supposed to grow. Like, where there's people, people should come. You know, churches are supposed to grow. It doesn't really make any sense. It's kind of like the body, the church. Not everyone is an ear, a hand, an eye. But the body grows. And eventually, the body stops growing. But what the body does is it should, in a sense, regenerate, recreate family, right? We create children, and we go on living in this sense. And the church should do the same as a body, that it will find its peak this is where we stop. This is where we end. This is where something else comes along and takes over. This is where it takes a different direction. This is where it breaks apart and it becomes something else. The church is supposed to grow. Is it important that this church grows? Yeah. I got on the, I don't remember where it was. I got on the internet the other day and uh, I was trying to see how many churches there were in Allen County. Any guesses right offhand? I got 43. That's what I counted. 43. I think there's like 12,000 people in Allen County. Something like that. 43 churches. Here's the thing, though. I think there's other churches that exist that are not on that list. It's a lot of churches. Like everybody should have somewhere they could go, right? Everyone could go to church somewhere. You got 43 options, you know? But some people's option is, no, I'm not interested, you know? So then how do we grow 
a church if, they, if that's the thing that happens? Well, I think we have to talk about motivation. Why do we want to grow a church? Just so that we can have more people than every other church on the list of 43? That's a really bad reason. It's really poor motivation. I mean, as cool as it would be, bad motivation. Like, bad like you can't, like there's, that's not a good reason. Let's just collect as many people. Because if that's the case, here's what we need. We need a Jupiter jump and we need somebody handing out $10 bills. And we could fill this place up every single Sunday, right? I have a feeling that Jesus wouldn't be very pleased with that. Oh, so you got everybody here to hear the message? Well, they're really not here for the message. They came for the $10 bill and the Jupiter jump. Well, we really can't go down that road. So what's our motivation for growth? Well, I've been able to be a part of some situations to where there's building programs that happen inside of a church and building plans. And so what they do is, have you ever seen them where they put the thing on the side of the deal over here and it looks like a, like a thermometer and then they start raising it with red paper over and over. Look, how high, we're almost there. We're going to build a building. We're going to do all this fun stuff. It's going to be so exciting. And it, and it generates interest and people get excited about that. Then you start hearing the, the beeping noise of big, uh, of big vehicles backing up in the parking lot and there's banging on concrete and there's jackhammers and that brings about a little bit of excitement people are like man that church must be doing well because look at all the the ruckus that's going on over there and that's really good is that a good reason to grow no is that the best way you get people in the door with a jackhammer <laughs> and a permit of stuff like that's still not really going to get the job done. So you can talk about, I mean, any number of things. How in the world do we grow a church? Well, I think we have to talk about the motivation. If our motivation consists of anything like that to where it's about us, I think we're doing it wrong. I think the motivation has to be about, number one, obedience. We have to be obedient to what God wants us to do. I think the other part has to be we have to care about the people outside these doors. And see, here's the deal, and this is where I struggle, and I'll be honest with you, this is a place that I really struggle. Do you worry for the people who do not have Jesus? Do you worry for them in the sense of, man, I'm really worried about those people. If we say yes, isn't there some sort of obligation on our end to be able to prove that? I care about these people, and I don't want them to go to hell. How do I prove that? Well, I mean, you can tell by the way I don't share the gospel. It's kind of like last week we were talking about, do you know how you, you know if you're a boxer? Of course you do, because you've been boxed, right? You can't, be, you can't call yourself a boxer unless you've been boxed or unless you are boxing someone. Like, you can't call yourself a runner if what you do is walk. Can we say we really love somebody and we care about somebody if there's no actions to corroborate the story? And so now I think we're in a place now to where we have matured as a group, to where we have to begin to focus on some things that are different than what we've been focusing on before. See, for most of us who showed up here, even in the staff, from the staff to the elders, everybody who kind of showed up here, if you look back on it, most of us came into this place broken. I mean, broken, broken. There's very few of us who came in here like, oh, I really had my stuff together when I got here. Very, very few. I mean, just beat up. So the majority of us who showed up 
and started coming. Like our experience was, we, were, we showed up in kind, of a half, in kind of a half-dressed, broken place, you know? It's kind of like when the alarm goes off for a tornado. You know, you ever been in that situation? You live in town and it goes off and you like got to go somewhere and you run outside. You got no coat on. You got no shoes on. You just kind of show up in a place. You're soaking wet and you're like, so uh, are you good? Yeah, I mean, I'm in a building. I mean, I don't have pants, but I'm in a building. And I mean, at, at least I'm safe. And a lot of us showed up in that same condition. Just that level of broken. Like, I don't know where any of my stuff is, but here I am, Jesus, you know. And that's kind of the way we showed up. And through the years, we've matured and we've grown. Have we arrived? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no way. Not at all. We haven't arrived, but we've matured. And I think there's a time for a church to recognize the fact that it's time for us to reach out to other people and say, I might not have my stuff completely together, but it's important that I take this message that Jesus has given me that he has changed my life with, that he has encouraged me with, that he has convicted me with. Because it's a journey. All of us are on this journey. And so step by step by step, we've gotten better and better and better. And it's time for us, I think, as a church, to be able to turn around and look and say, okay, it's easy for us to get very self-interested, to care about us and our church and our people and what we do, but it might be time for us to be serious and take serious the command that Jesus gave, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. So when I ask the question, is it important for the church to grow? The answer is yes. When I say, is it important to you that the church grows? The answer should be yes. Is it important for everybody else to know the Jesus that you know? Yes. And if there is something about that that you're thinking to yourself, look, I'm holding on by a thread. Like I'm holding on by a thread. I haven't, I haven't connected with, the, with Jesus in a way that, that is making a, a massive difference in my life yet. I don't know that I need to be talking to anybody about anything. I would remind you that Jesus uh, went into the Gadareans and there was this demoniac who was there who had thousands of demons inside of them. And Jesus cast the demons out. The demons ran into the pigs. The pigs ran off the edge of the deal. It screwed up the, the, the entire market in this area. The bacon's messed up, which is big problems. The water's messed up. The fishing's messed up. Jesus decimates everything. And then the demoniac is sitting there who's been living in the tombs and he says, can I please go with you? Because these people are going to be mad, you know? They're going to blame it on me. Can I please go with you? And Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to tell everybody in town all the good things that God has done for you. That if you think you're holding on by a thread, listen, unless you've got a thousand demons and you've been living in the cemetery, I think you're qualified. I think you're qualified. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. Now, I've got to tell you this. I got a little distracted when I was looking at um, what Thessalonica looked like. 
Because if you don't know, Thessalonica is beautiful. It's in Greece. Second largest city in Greece, right behind Athens. Thessalonica used to be the capital of Greece years ago. Thessalonica is beautiful. So I'm like, I wonder what Thessalonica looks like. Hey, I'm not kidding you. I'm like, and I love, I love, I, I'm typing this in, right? I'm like, Thessalonica, let's check it out. Let's see what it looks like. Beautiful. Within like 10 minutes, I was on a real estate website, and I was trying to convert euros to dollars just to see if I had enough to even get over there. Like, I should go there. I wonder if I could buy a place. So I'm looking at this nice little island. I can actually own my own island for right under 200000 you know? If we all pitch in, it might be a little overpopulated, but we could go, you know? <laughs> like, I got very excited about This is such a beautiful place. And I was like, none of this will preach. Like, get back to what you're... Thessalonica is beautiful. It's also this central, uh, this central area between these three massive continents. And so everything goes through here. This trade is huge. And so Paul writes this letter to them because he spent, check this out, three weeks there. Paul spent three weeks in Thessalonica. It says that in, in Acts, uh, Acts 16 or 17, it says that he went to Thessalonica and he was preaching three different Sabbath days. He preached for three different Sabbath days. Went to the synagogue. Reasoning with the people. Several people became Christians. He was there three weeks, planted a church, and then they ran him out of town. Get lost. And he wrote back a letter and he said, I just, I'm so worried about you. I'm so concerned for you. This is the letter. I want you to notice something right out of the gates. The very first line. 1 Thessalonians 1. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now check this out. This is cool to me. This is so cool to me. There was a common salutation that you met people with. And it was this. Mercy and peace. 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 This was the salutation, mercy and peace. In this time, in this era, mercy and peace was the thing. Except Paul didn't say mercy and peace, did he? No, he said grace and peace. I'll tell you something else that you might not know. The Greeks had a common salutation that they met everybody with, and it was charis, charis. Greek, charis, charity, grace. The Jews had a salutation too. What was it? Shalom, peace, Greeks, grace, Jews, shalom, peace. Paul writes this letter to them and he says, grace and peace. All you Gentiles out there, don't worry, you're welcome here. All you Jews out there, peace to you, you're welcome here. Paul is a welcoming individual. If you want the church to grow, our number one thing that we have to do, that we can do naturally without any problem, all it takes is, check this out, stop being a coward, is to welcome somebody. That's it. If we want the church to grow, one of the first things we do is we welcome other people. Listen, here's the thing that we will hear from, from time to time. The place is not real friendly. Okay, well, we've had this discussion. The place is not real friendly. Well, listen, a lot of people who complain about the place not being real friendly typically come in looking for something, right? Kind of have an attitude about something. This happens. It's just, it's just what it is. People who would report this kind of thing. It's just, just there's people who just kind of have that kind of thing, you know, that kind of drama. And they would say, well, 
not a very friendly place. Okay, well, sorry. Next time we'll do a much better job. I'll get everybody on board and we'll all make sure we sing you a song. Then you'll feel more welcome. That's not, and, and I understand. We get here, we see people, we talk to other people, we have these conversations and it's super easy for people to fall in between the cracks. It's really easy. But if we want the church to grow, then we have to become a welcoming place, which means if you look up and you say, I think this would welcome people better, then you should let us know that. If you see somebody who is new, then you should go up and you should introduce yourself. Hey, are you new? I don't know if I've ever seen you here before. No, I'm, I'm not new. I've been going here a year. I'm so sorry. I've been sitting on my side being a coward for a year. Oh, okay. Well, super to meet you. Well, sorry about that. I'm so, okay, up high. High five. And go on about your business. Because this is the way we have to operate. Paul says, hey, Greeks, come on in. Gentiles, come on in. Jews, come on in. You know what we have in common? Jesus, we're all trying to get out of the storm. We're all trying to get in out of the storm. And if you cannot have compassion on somebody else who walks in trying to get out from the storm, there's something wrong with you and your connection. Like we should be welcoming people who come racing in the door. Second thing that Paul points out is this. Paul says that he, he never stops praying for the Thessalonians. Look at this. Verse 2. We always thank God for you, all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember you before God, our Father, um, before God and our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. This isn't the first time that we've heard this. This is the first time it was written, but we're not, we're more familiar with the other time. Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. In the letter to the Corinthians, he says, you can speak in the tongues of angels, you can, you can prophesy, you can, you can uh, heal, you can do all of this stuff, but if you have not love, you are nothing more than a creaking gate and a clanging cymbal. He gets down to the end and he goes, all of these other things were eventually going to pass away, but you know what is not going to pass away? Faith, hope, and love. This is Paul's little signature thing here. Faith, hope, and love. Those will never pass away. Faith, hope, and love. And what he tells the Thessalonians is this. I was with you three weeks, and I'm absolutely amazed at where your faith is. I'm absolutely amazed at what you've done. Here's the translation for us. Loving people is hard. It is laborious. It requires some endurance. I mean, think about this. Think about how much you can't tolerate yourself sometimes. Right? You see yourself in the mirror and you're like, I am ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of who you are. Like you're... How much harder is it to look at somebody else's life and be like, I would much rather envy them. I'd much rather be jealous of them or I'd much rather judge them or be critical of them than ever love them. Why? Because love is hard. Ask anybody who's been married for a long time. I think it was Billy Graham and his wife. Before he'd passed, they'd ask him something about marriage. He said, had you ever considered divorce? And she said, absolutely not. Homicide? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Why? Because love is that. Love is that, it's that, that passion that can flip a switch and go either direction at, at, at any point, you know? You can love so much that somebody who you love so much can hurt you so quickly and you can get so violently angry because you love so much. Why would we dare to love? That's why Colossians, Paul writes, and I struggle with all of Christ's energy that so effectively works in me. Here's the idea. That if I'm struggling with my own energy, listen, I got zero to give you people, right? Zero. I have zero patience for all of your nonsense. None. I don't, I have this much patience for mine. How much do you think I have for yours? None. But with the help of Christ and the energy that he has and that he gives us that effectively works in me, I can love. And you can too. And so what Paul says is this. You have made a dent in the area because you've just, you've just continued to love. Your work has sprouted from how much you love people. Listen, if you're going to sit around and wait until you feel happy, until you feel like really good and sure about if you're going to love someone and take care of them, like <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Because listen, here's what's going to happen. Like your insides are never going to ever get on board. Like, oh, I should care about them. Yeah, except I'm not going to. You know. I should care about them. It just doesn't feel right yet. It's never, ever. There's times loving myself, loving my family doesn't feel right. I'm in a conversation with, <laughs> I was having a conversation the other day with this lady and, and we're, we're discussing some stuff and sweet, sweet, good, godly woman. And she made the comment, listen, there are times that as a woman, growing up with my kids, young mom, times I thought to myself, I think I could leave. I think I could leave them all. Leave them all. Leave him. Leave all those kids. Walk out the door. And the only reason I'm staying is because I know I only feel like this right now. Tomorrow, I will be very sad that I did that. And I say, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it was my mother who was telling me that. Um, <laughs> so I kind of understood it a little bit. But it's true that we have these emotions, right? And we can feel a certain way one day and the next day not. And if we make decisions off that, this is not going to work. Sometimes we just commit to loving somebody. We just commit to taking care of somebody. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. Growing churches will find a way to take their faith and their hope and their love and they'll project it forward with their actions. You see, because it's not about just, do you have faith? And everybody says, yeah, I have faith. Prove it. Do you have love? Yes, I have love. Prove it. If we go into your home, is there peace in your home? Then can you say, yes, I know how to love? 
We project it with our life. If we want to grow a church, here's what it comes down to. It doesn't come down to we need a bigger building, we need more staff, we need to have a, um, we'd have a Jupiter jump, we need to put a big thermometer uh, on the... It's not about that. What it comes down to is the discipline of our own life. When we become disciplined in following Christ and being obedient in Christ, the rest of the world is going to see it. They're going to watch. They're going to notice Listen, they cannot wait for you to screw it up. Agree? Cannot wait for you to do it. Like, oh, I cannot, because if you do, I promise you, oh, well, 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 well. It's, it's so rampant. I hear it all the time. Well, you would think a guy who's in ministry, he would, off he goes. Well, you would think somebody who calls themselves, it, it's just real. And I don't want to say the world as in everybody outside these doors, but there are, there's a good amount of the population who cannot wait for you to drop the ball and screw it up so that they can just ride you on it. How they can prove that your God doesn't work and that he's not powerful. That's it. If we want to grow a church, our example needs to be that very thing, that we have love and that love produces some sort of effort outside that our faith exists in this way and that, that you know what, we, we're going to find a way to produce something out of that. I'm going to hold on to the truth, even if it's not popular. And then there's going to be this hope that even when I'm in the midst of the hardest things that we're going to go through, listen, Jesus is coming at some point. He's coming. Like he's going to come back, which this is a reality I don't think we talk about very often, but he is, like, <laughs> check this out. Like, he's going to come back. And when, he, and when he does come back, it's going to be scary and awesome and scary. And stuff just gets ripped wide open. Everything's ripped wide open. And he's going to come riding back, and it's going to be terrifying and awesome and scary. And that's the hope. We can endure. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul explains this. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The earth is crying out. Like the ground is crying out. The rocks, are, the trees, everything is crying out saying, I cannot wait until he comes back because this is not right. I was made for something different than this. If all of creation is moaning and groaning, waiting on the return of Christ, how much more should we be? If the creation is aware of it, if the rocks are aware of it, how much more should we be? And what Paul says is this present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that's coming. Growing churches or disciplined churches, we move forward. Verses 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power and the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. 
You know how we lived among you for your sake? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith, is in God, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. He says you became imitators. You became imitators, not only of the apostles, of the disciples, of Paul, Timothy, and Silas who wrote this letter, but you became examples of Jesus, imitators of Jesus in your life. Imitators in what sense? Imitators in the sense that even while you were going through severe suffering, you had joy. Go ahead and uh, write your name on that list if that's you. Yeah, when I go through hard things, I'm always smiling it up like an idiot. No, typically I'm not. Typically I'm trying not to swear, you know? I guess that's typically what's going on in my mind. Like, if I go through something hard, I was just talking to a buddy of mine last night. We're having a conversation about, I talked to, I talked to two guys yesterday and, and we were having a very similar conversation about moments, moments when we've had to, when we begin to pray and our prayer life turned almost aggressive. Dear God, just want to thank you for all the wonderful stuff, right? Just so, just so nice and soft and simple. And I think God sometimes is like, stop doing that, it's weird, you know? <laughs> Because, I mean, think about it. If your children did it, it would be weird. Daddy, could I stay at the house again tonight? Yeah, you're my kid. You live here. Like, stop being weird, you know? Daddy, would it be okay if I got something to eat? Okay. Like, this really formal, weird thing that you're doing, like, and why do you have a British accent? Like, that doesn't make any... <laughs> Father, would it be okay if I stayed in the house again tonight, Father? Like, it's a, if your kids do that, it would be so strange for us to approach God in the same sense. Does that mean we, we show up with no reverence whatsoever? No. But at the same time, stop talking to God like, like he's weird. Like, you, you're the one that weirds up the conversation. He's not. He's like, this is what I'm doing. And you're like, okay, whatever. I hate God's plans. I love your plans. Like, it's weird. Like, our whole prayer life is just so strange and bizarre. Keep me safe on the roads. Like, okay, that's it. Like, that's your grocery list. That's what you got. That's what you're giving me. But there's these moments to where we pray and we want answers. And you know what I love? I love the book of Job. I love the book of Job because what you see is Job getting irate. He's not happy with God on any level. Not happy. Like, you ripped me off. Promised me something good. You built it all up. You gave me this wonderful life. You gave me a wonderful family. You gave me health. You gave me wealth. You gave me riches. You gave me all these friends. And then what'd you do? You came through and you wiped it all away. What are you doing? Explain yourself. And then God did. Like, who is rapping on my door? Who is that? That's uh, it's Job. He's got a lot of fight in him, doesn't he? What's he so mad about? He uh, feels like maybe you uh, got him a little. 
I'll fix his little red wagon. If God ever said little red wagon. Tears the sky open, steps down right into Job's life and says, who is this that's questioning me? And Job's like, uh, it's, it's, it's me. I didn't, I sometimes forget you can hear so good, you know. And then God begins to question him. And at the end of it, Job is satisfied. And God doesn't even seem to be angry when he asks. It doesn't even seem to be just out of control, like I want to blow you up. Listen, God opened up the ground and made it swallow up Israelites in the desert. When God's mad, you know it. It's like being a boxer. You know if God's mad. But if God's communicating, then you know. And see, part of the problem that we have is we rarely ever dare try to communicate with God. We just try to make nice. We dare not step into a relationship because that can mean responsibility on my end. And I don't want responsibility. I just want to make nice and maybe he'll just forget I'm around, won't curse me, smash me, throw me in hell, check me on the list and maybe I can just kind of slide by around the side. No! Responsibility is what you need. And God steps in and says, I want to have a relationship. Okay, dear father, thank you so much. No, absolutely not. Wants to have a real relationship. Wants to connect with you. Paul says, I remember you all the time in my prayer. I'm constantly talking about you in my prayer because you became imitators of God. You stepped out and became imitators of God. You took a message and you walked into a broken world and you gave it away. You begin to live like Jesus lived when Jesus was here. You cared for people. Then he uses another word, and your message rang out. This is the trumpet blast to let the soldiers know, hey, come on back, we beat them. This is the trumpet call of victory for all the soldiers to know we won. We've mashed them. Come on back. Stop chasing them off in the woods. Come back. And Paul says, that's exactly what your message has done. It's blared out like a trumpet, like a bell, like it's gonging all the time. That's what your message has done. Everywhere we go, you know what we hear about? The Thessalonian church, the three-week-old Thessalonian church, everywhere we go, those people are different. They are different. And Paul closes up the very last part, starting in 9b. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues who rescues us from the coming wrath. Real quick. The chapter divisions of Thessalonians, we did that. They weren't there originally. We did that. But here's what's interesting. At every break in thought that Paul has through the book of Thessalonians, every one of them end with him referring to Jesus is coming. The end of every chapter, chapter one, Jesus is coming, he's coming to rescue. Chapter two, Jesus is coming, don't forget Jesus is coming. Chapter three, Jesus is coming, he's gonna show up in a minute. Chapter four, Jesus is coming. Chapter five, Jesus is coming. You know what the, you know what the message that Paul is giving them is? It's this. Don't worry. 
Your king is coming. Don't worry. Your king is coming. Maybe you need to hear the same thing. Don't worry. Your king's coming. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's going to put you back together. You're not going to be beat up forever. You're not going to be backed into that corner forever. You're not going to be by yourself forever. You're not going to be sick forever. It's going to get better. Your king is coming. And what he's saying is this. This is the most important part. I'm proud of you for this, and I'm proud of you for this, and I'm proud of you for this. But let us not forget this. Just keep enduring because our king's coming. And there's nothing cooler than getting caught doing something good. Get caught doing something good. Your king is on the way. And that's Paul's words to us. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, do we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. God, we ask that you will light a fire in our hearts to care about the souls of the people around us. Lord, specifically we ask that right now you will begin to lay some people on our heart who you are going to prepare conversation for us, that you're going to open up doors for us. You're going to give us opportunities to take whatever our message is, no matter how, how big or small, but Lord, you will open up these opportunities for us to share with these people. Lord, I ask that as we are all here, you will begin to put the faces of these people in our minds. Lord, that we can begin to pray for them. We can begin to prepare uh, our own hearts and our own words. Lord, that you will give us the courage to take this message and share it with the people that you lay on our hearts. Lord, that we can begin to care about these people Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. And we ask that you will take that same kind of love and that same kind of uh, compassion that you've had for us, that you will fill our hearts with it, that we can take it to the people around us who we live with, who we live beside, we live around. Pray that you'll be with us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.